episode, you've turned to Flippin' F1 Podcast, where fanboys fire off about F1. Whether you're new to the sport or a seasoned fan, every two weeks, we'll break down some elements of this week's Formula One race through goofball games, candid commentary, and accessible analysis. Week by week, I'm joined by our panel of fanboys. Spence, what are you drinking today? Hey, Randy. Uh, hello from the West Coast. Drinking some Fernie Brewing Co. Huckleberry Ale. What the huck? <laughs> nice. Gareth, our details Don, what's happening this week, man? I can't help but note that his beer matches your shirt, and I'm drinking <laughs> ice-cold beer from Leftfield Brewery. Nice. I got to ask, because, you know, inquiring wise want to know, are you doing the socks and mandals? What's happening here? Going commando, so to speak. Going commando. Oh, lovely. And it With begins. my feet. <laughs> With my feet. <laughs> and rounding out Phil, who I'll occasionally be referring to as the professor, because he's the one that got us into the sport. How you doing, bye? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Had a little bit of a pre-drink before, so now I'm on water, but you know. Of course, pre-drink for the podcast. That's awesome. And of course, I'm your host utmost, Randy, bringing you Flippin' F1 from where we are right now. The third longest circuit on the F1 tour, Baku City Circuit in Azerbaijan, is another street circuit. But contrary to the Monaco race that's processional and predictable, Baku is a complete drama llama. It's known for outrageous events that occur on the racetrack, including track that runs through, or at least by, depending on how you look at it, a castle. It's an absolute delight. It's uh, interestingly staged on a track that looks like an oil can spilling its contents, but it's got perilous corners and high-speed straights to make spectacular, spectacular race maneuvers. Spence, why is Baku such an unpredictable race? Well, Randy, I mean, I, part of it has to be just the absolutely unreal speed that people are getting down the back straight. I mean, it has to be one of the longest straights in the calendar. Combine that again, like Monaco, with another street circuit where there's absolutely no room for error, right? Like if you're overshooting the corner, like you're in a wall. Yeah, I know that makes sense. Those things, Phil, this place is murder on tires. As we again saw this race. Why is it such a technical beast? I think you just got to look at. The, I mean, the surface isn't something that is raced on all the time, so it's it's that type of adhesion that's happening with the tires. I think you're looking at the fast speed and that straightaway that uh, Spence was talking about. Uh, and then you've got uh, nice, slow, tight turns. All that just combines to make it a lot of fun to watch. Awesome, awesome. Stax, tell us a little bit more about the host country, Azerbaijan. Why is it one of those places that you've got to visit, or at least one of those places worth seeing a race at? It's below sea level. First of all, Baku, largest city below sea level in the world. And it looks beautiful where it is geographically, kind of an east meets west. There's a Mediterranean feel. There's some eastern feel to it. It looks beautiful. It's got castles. It's got amazing history. The regime in charge ain't that nice if they don't like you. FYI. Oh, good to know. Good to know. You know, and I, of course, asked you that question because you're the only one of us that actually knows where Azerbaijan is. So <laughs> It's over there. <laughs> over there. It's over there. It's over there. Bingo! It's, as always, we're going to start with everybody's favorite game, Box, 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 Bingo. For new fans of the sport, it's not uncommon to hear a team engineer exclaim, Box, 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 when they want the racer to come in for a pit stop. In this game, all of our panelists, including me, have made eight predictions on a bingo card about what would happen during this race weekend. And what's brilliant this week is that everybody actually made calls in all of the boxes ahead of the race, which is wild. Um, of course, of course, perhaps the most predictable thing in F1, at least F1 2021, is that Haas driver Nikita Mazepin is prone to spin or bend during the race. So that stays at the center of all of our cards increasing the possibility of a win. 
Each one of our panelists will quickly run through their favorite predictions and let us know how they did. Gareth, how'd you fare? I won. Obviously. Obviously. Every week I do. (laughs) (laughs) We predicted our our top five on the grid. I got that completely backwards. I will say (laughs) my top five race standings, who predicted Perez would win? This guy. That's the only reason he won, because he actually just called the one victory, and that was it. Everything else you failed at. (laughs) That's okay. If you towed up the points, I actually won on points. If you use it for me on points with that square, you're welcome. That's wild. All of us called Max to take the poll, and that didn't happen. Spence, what do you think, man? Like, what the hell? I don't know, Randy. This, I mean, this is the second race in a row where I think Max was kind of hard done by in qualifying. Uh, I have to think he would have had the pace in his car if he'd had the chance to finish that last lap for Suno to put in the wall. Yeah, that's fair. Now, Phil, you had bought us sitting on the front row. What happened? I mean, I honestly expected him to come back from something there. I think he's a fantastic driver, and I just think, uh, you know, and we can talk about this at another time, but I think he's being hampered by some of the Mercedes shenanigans that's going on. But I thought he was going to do well. Yeah, you know, you don't get them all right, that's for sure. (laughs) Let's go to box three, outrageous thing that'll happen. So I had George finally gets into the points, but then loses them for a team penalty. Totally didn't get that anywhere near that, so that was... That was a lovely prognostication by me. Gareth, what was yours? I was going to say we finally have an informed discussion that leads to change about whether F1 needs to cozy up to countries run by shitty dictators. Oh, and because of carnage, William scores a point. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. Where's Williams? (laughs) We're never going to be allowed to Azerbaijan if anybody hears this. No, 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 we're not. (laughs) I will say that the Formula One official Twitter account put out a tweet today about the upcoming race in Saudi Arabia, another well-known country of freedom and laws. And the Twitter responses to that are worth a read. Definitely worth a read. But this is something that F1's been dealing with since Bernie got in charge. We'll take money from anybody. And we'll come and we'll, through the power of sport, somehow bring fairness and democracy to your country. Does it happen? Not really. Does anybody really talk about it these days? Not too much. And they're kind of cloaking themselves in this, we race is one thing. I think it needs to have more of a discussion. And actually going to Saudi Arabia might do that. So that's my outrageous prediction. A little bit of a downer, but that's, uh, that's what it was. Yeah, that's all good. Spence, you were bagging on uh, Sonoda a little bit this time around. I did not think that Yuki was going to be able to do it on this track. Like I mentioned earlier, there's no margin for error, and he's still trying to come to grips with that Alpha Tauri. I had Gasly beating Yuki by seven-plus places, and as it turned out, it was the Gasman's best race of the year, but it was also Yuki's best race of the year, and he finished, I believe, it was P7, so so good on Yuki. Made me look bad again. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> and of course, you know, utterly predictable thing that happened. We all know it's a Mazda spin, but still... Even with that on the board, Phil, you actually put up something against Mazepin again? <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I, I, I just had to say, I had to think that, you know, Schumacher and Mazepin were going to collide. I thought it was going to happen in the first 10 laps. I didn't realize it was going to happen on almost the exact last lap at the last moment on the final straightaway. <laughs> but, I mean, some things, uh, you've got to admit, this guy is out for blood. He's going to drive somebody into a wall sometime yeah. soon, unfortunately. And, you know, it has to be called. Mazda Race Band. Yeah. Mazda, Mazda Race, race Band. band. <laughs> That's his new name once he gets the band, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I had Italian Jesus nibbling at the points, but beaten by Kimmy. Did that actually happen? You nailed that it. You did. That happened. You nailed that. Kimmy was Jesus, 10. But, yeah. but for on the restart, after the red flag, 
I think he got squeezed, went to the back of somebody in front of him. Kimmy nipped in front. Kimmy got 10th. Italian Jesus got 11th. And I'm going to say, and I said this somewhere else, he had an amazing first lap. Go watch it. Yeah. Five places. It was really good. All right. So because we've already said it, Gareth, you got to explain who Italian Jesus is for our fans that are new to the sport. Don't really know. He's not the Pope. He's a fellow named Antonio Giovinazzi, or if you're the British commentators, <laughs> Giovanizzi. He's a Alfa Romeo Sauber driver. He's a Ferrari protege. He's, he's in the Ferrari system. He has the nicest hair of any racing driver out there. It flows down his back. <laughs> and you know what? He's been showing promise. He's always one of those guys everybody's been saying, you know, why is Ferrari hanging on to this guy? What does he got? What does he do? But he's been out qualifying Kimmy this year. And he's been having these kind of mega first laps. And he really does look like Jesus, especially when he lets his hair down. <laughs> no jealousy there on your part, though. No, Phil. None. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've, I've got to ask, though, like, what, what do we think about uh, two Alfa Romeos being ahead of a Mercedes on merit? Like, that's not something I thought I was going to see this year. What's going on at Mercedes, Phil? <laughs> Phil, do it, man. You want to, do I, it, you know, <laughs> We're leading into the conversation. That there are problems at Mercedes, flat out. There, there have been problems coming for the last, I would say, two years. The cracks have been forming, and this year I think it's finally hit the limits. They're a fantastic team. They've got a fantastic car, but they're not packaging it all together at the right times when they need to. And that's point blank. And then, you know, at some point, somebody has to say, as with all great teams, errors come to an end, and you know we've got to look at what's next, right, and, and how to build the team up. But I think there's cracks there. Phil, is that because of kind of some of the senior leadership turnover they've been having? I think that has a big part to play in it. I think as much as I like Toto Wolf, I think he's focused so heavily on, on the Hamilton factor that he's forgotten about managing a team. I think he's a brilliant manager, and I think he's got amazing skill sets. But I think he's been suckered into building a team around one driver. And we know that only lasts a certain amount of time. There's limits to that. We've seen it from the Schumacher era at Ferrari. It doesn't last forever. And them losing a lot of key players isn't going to help them. And certainly they're starting to feel that pain and pressure. Uh, and they're making small mistakes just everywhere. Right. And that's the culmination of that is going to be is going to be painful as they go through. Culmination is going to be potentially finishing second instead of first in the champion, both drivers and constructors championship. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll love to see. Ah, we're all wanting that. I'm, I'll pay for that. Some of us. <laughs> some of us. All right. <laughs> it's like. Sorry, Randy. <laughs> Box five, tire strategy, penalty, or safety car predictions. Now, this was fun because on our text chat, we did a little side bet to see how many different types of flags there would be because, gosh, you know, qualifying had more red flags than my last girlfriend before I got married. So, you know, that was just unbelievable. So I know we had some fun with that. Gareth, you had Leclerc hitting the wall. <laughs> just history. He's hit the wall in Baku before. He's hit the wall a few other places before especially on street circuits, I figured he might have hit the wall and caused a safety car. <laughs> Turns out I was wrong. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. You know, Wall 17 was 15. hungry, though, this race. Turn 15. Turn, turn, turn 15. 15. It was turn 15. very hungry. Yeah. It was uh, trying to vie for the, the title uh, of the most hit wall in a Grand Prix weekend, which really has only been taken so far by Montreal's championship wall, right? The, the infamous, you know, how many world champions can be taken out on one corner? This one, I mean, you know, I was expecting in the race there were going to be a lot of incidents there uh, because you saw it in quality, you saw it in practice. 
I was surprised nobody actually hit it in the race. <laughs> you know, they hit other things, but they didn't hit that. They they managed to avoid turn fifteen. Yeah, it's it's wild. Why was that wall so hungry? I don't get it. Like in quali, I mean, that just made total chaos. It's the downward slope of the run towards it. They're they're heading downhill. Then they bank right, and then they're banking left into the corner. Uh, all downward. It's, it's sort of unbalanced in the car as they're going into the corner. Yeah. And I feel like, Phil, that there was kind of a, a bump on the entrance this year as well. There was, yeah. Street circuit problems, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Can't control that. We race on public roads, and public roads... Aren't perfect. Rise and fall. Yeah. yeah. I honestly think they just they get to that turn, and they just start sightseeing, right? Like, ooh, castle. Who knows? Maybe there was, you know, an overhanging apartment at the city center, and there's some attractive people on the balcony. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there should be a meme there, right? They're just kind of rubbernecking. Put on your mask! <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. And so, you know, in this one, Spence, you gave Williams a little bit of love today. You know, what was the deal, man? Oh, I think that might have been... Uh, that was, was me. That might have been Phil? That was, that was me. I was trying to sort of... I still think there's a lot for Williams to do. I, they've always had one of the fastest pit stops, so I thought they were going to nail that. Um, I predicted that Mercedes was going to stumble in the pit stop. They didn't stumble, but they did take their time thanks to uh, a Gasly, you know, blocking them a little bit. Well, they had, they had to hold. Yeah. yeah. I know, but it was they good to, to hold. See. That's fair enough. And then we go into the open wild predictions. What was your favorite prediction that actually came right, Gareth? Um... My favorite prediction, most kilometers driven in reverse when drivers can find reverse gear this year. <laughs> I don't have an actual stat on that, but uh, just my gut feeling is they got real good at backing up. Yep. You know, I, I think by the time we get to Abu Dhabi, that's going to be proven right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a street circuit. It's got some runoffs on some of these big corners, unlike Monaco. But you got you, you, you got to put it in reverse and hope nobody else is coming behind you. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite one yeah that's that's fair although i did say that uh, danny rick finally had a good one yeah yeah did, did all right did yeah. all right and you keep finishing the points so you did fairly solidly on these predictions what about you spence yeah. what was your favorite of your open wilds i will just say for the record i failed miserably at my open wild predictions however the one that was probably going to be the most entertaining because of how wrong it was was my prediction that Vettel's point scoring streak was going to end after one race. <laughs> and he, he made me very, very, very wrong there finishing P2. So I'm, I'm very happy to see it. I thought that Aston Martin was going to struggle a little more around there. But you know what? He, he drove another brilliant race with uh, you know, another brilliant strategy call. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite parts of the weekend was on Saturday... You'd predicted there would be 15 finishes in the race, and, and Spence was like, you know what? I'm moving the goalposts and claiming the win. This is what happened Saturday. Yeah, that's right. Like, All right. I guess we'll give yeah, that to I, you. You know what? I forgot about that. I forgot I had preemptively called that uh, for myself on Saturday. You know what? I take back everything I said. I called 15 finishers in qualifying, and that came true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're basically, to, to quote Martin, uh, a day late, dollar short. You said 15. We had 16 finishers. You said Ferrari driver, driver of the day. What was a former Ferrari driver? I'm sorry, sir. Here's your discount store watch. Consolation prize for contestants. Having a nice day. Close all the counts and horseshoes and hand grenades, man. <laughs> Phil, what about you? What was your favorite oh, go wild prediction? Well, I have to say, the only one that I actually got right was that, which was both Alpha Tauris and the points. Out of nine boxes or eight boxes, I only got one right. That's pretty, yeah. That's a good <laughs> learning start, starting point for me, let's say. But no, uh, you know, uh, 
I was awful at the predictions this week. As always, next time. Yeah, well, I mean, last week I had near a clean sheet. I, you know, I think I scored an extra point this week, so we'll see how this goes. I mean, <laughs> it's like, that's it for box, 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 bingo! What'd you draw, Lewis? All right, so best radio broadcast quotes for the week. I don't know, it seems like a quiet week for the radio. Do you guys find the same thing? A little bit. I I went back and listened. Uh, F1 TV does kind of a best of radio, about 20, 25 minutes. There was some, but it was actually just the best of onboards, really. Great attitude. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> there was not a brilliant amount of radio, although I was watching Fernando Alonso's onboard of kind of his last two laps, and this was right before the red flag restart. We had a red flag, got to restart. His engineer says, you nailed that restart last time, get some good points, and Alonso replies, yes, I know, all or nothing, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it was good. You know, for those of who are just listening to us for the first time, what you talk about, Lewis, is where we look at the best radio calls between the driver and the pit wall, some of the broadcasters' best moments, and even some of our own commentary from the race text chat. So while the race is going on, the four of us have been chatting away. Well, three of us at least. Gareth kind of slept in through this one. So uh, it's early. But, you know, it happens. <laughs> Don't even get me started on Eurocentric things. <laughs> I, think, uh, <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments of the radio this week was, and Ricardo's always great for radio when he's going, right? So. The pit basically calls him over. He's like, ah, so why don't you jump into the car and we'll look at the data. Yeah, it was like, can we hold hands? This long pause. Yeah, I think I'd like that. <laughs> Ricardo's like, awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was good. What about you, Spence? Well, a couple of things come to mind. Um, I know I've been bagging on this guy a lot today, but, but Yuki telling his race engineer to shut up over the radio, I found quite entertaining. I don't know what that's going to do for him in terms of his standing at the team. He might need to uh, try to dial that back just a little bit, but that was pretty entertaining. Uh, another moment I liked that we didn't get to see on the Sky broadcast, but I saw reported on social media after was uh, Mark Weber's reaction to Lewis uh, just sailing through turn one uh, after leaving the magic on. Uh, it was the kind of sound that came from him that would absolutely break glass. It was really quite entertaining and not something I ever thought I'd hear out of Mark Weber's mouth. I haven't heard it. I'm going to have to go find that now. <laughs> totally. I haven't seen that one. Oh my goodness. It's one of oh, the you best see clips it. of the weekend. I yeah. will post it to at F one because it is so good. <laughs> Phil, what about you, man? Favorite uh, radio moments? Yeah, I think there's two. One I actually liked was uh, as the drivers were sitting in the pit lane uh, in the red flag, and Pirelli was in the process of adjusting the tire pressures. They told the team, hey, increase the tires by two PSI. And then literally, like, you know, about a minute or two later, they went back, no, no, sorry, put those back to the other ones. And Mick Schumacher said, they are moody today. And just the way he said it, the way he referenced it, it was just like, it was one of those priceless, like, okay, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was good. I think also uh, Mazepin actually showed a bit of humor. I'm going to, you know, give him a bit of credit here. He showed a bit of humor in, in his reply. He did. I know it doesn't happen. Do, we have, a, do we have a sound effect for this? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, I think I got a drum roll here. All right. There we go. So I think he did, he was a bit humorous on, on this whole thing when interaction with his engineer <laughs> telling him to drive a default seven when you can. Uh, you know, with the inflection of the of the engineer from uh, the Monaco uh, conversations where it was 
you know, this is Monaco, I can't drive around the track. And Maz's reply back is, we're not in Monaco anymore. <laughs> you know, as he instantly changed the drive. It was just, pri- I thought it was good. You know, he acknowledged he's learned something. I mean, that's, that's possibly a negative going to <laughs> positive. Enough. I don't know. Fair enough. What about you, Gareth? We got to hear FIA radio again. Oh, yeah. So good. Phil mentioned uh, the Pirelli stuff, which is, I think, an FIA radio channel. But we got to hear some more radio between the teams can talk to the race director directly. And they played that. And it's a call from, I think, Jonathan Wheatley, who's the head of strategy or technical head at Red Bull, to Michael Massey, race director. This is as the cars are coming in, or at least it was played as the cars are coming into the pits for the red flag. Right after Verstappen's crash, because this tire is let go somehow. And it starts off, Michael, I know you're busy. (laughs) And it continues. You've got to do something about these tires effectively. Like, we need to change your tires. We need to have a red flag. We've got to do this. So obviously before the red flag. Hearing that because the whole tire issue became an issue again at this race. And when we say tire issue, uh, Formula One every now and again, um, the tires might explode. See Silverstone last year for the uh, 70th anniversary Grand Prix. And everybody gets really upset because when your tire explodes at 230 miles or 20 miles an hour, whatever it is, stuff goes horribly wrong. That's how we saw Stroll crash. That's how we saw Verstappen crash, whether the tire itself exploded because of a manufacturing defect or a manufacturing issue. We don't know. Pirelli's come out and said, oh, these tires had cuts in them. There's obviously debris there. But there's something going on, and the teams are rightly concerned and getting on the horn to race control. And the one other bit of radio I'm going to say, playing into that, was Lance Stroll right after he crashed. Whoa, 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 red flag, red flag, get me out of this place. He crashed on the straight, I think. What were the top speeds this They were hitting 340, yeah. 300 plus. 40 kilometers an hour, yeah. yeah. And you can just appreciate the absolute danger the sport has when you're going down this massively long straight with bends in it. It's a straight with bends in it. And you hit the wall going 340 kilometers an hour, which is, it's like, holy hell, get me out of this place now. Like, the kind of the danger of having a car there is, like, just sitting there. And, and that feeling is just indescribable. I mean, there's no need for it in Formula One. There's no need for this to have happened. This, it shouldn't be happening. 15 plus years ago, was it 15 years ago or just a bit less? Uh, the whole Michelin tire incident at the Indy, uh, Indianapolis circuit, the same thing. You know, tires were blowing and so that ended up being the Michelin teams didn't even run that race. There's no need for it. But my question really is actually even bigger than that. Where were the safety cars? I mean, literally on Lance's, it took 30 seconds from the time he hit the wall. Now, I'm sorry, you saw him hit the wall. That car is not going anywhere in a matter of a minute or two, right? Where's the safety car? It didn't even get deployed. It was 35 seconds from the time he hit the wall to the time the safety car got deployed. So the yellow flags flew, but they didn't send a safety car, which are two they separate didn't things. didn't send a safety car. Separate things, right? Yeah. Uh, for Max, it was closer to a minute, almost over a minute had passed before they, they let the safety car go out. You knew the... It was on the straight. They're sitting right there. You know the car's not going anywhere. It's holding up... You know, it's in a dangerous position. I don't understand what's taking so long to deploy a safety car in that scenario. 
Now, Professor, you know, while you're talking about this, you've got to sort of explain to our newer fans, those that have seen Drive to Survive or things like that, what's the difference between a yellow flag, a double wave yellow, a red, and a safety car? Well, some of this I may need to defer to the technical expert, Gareth, but, um, you know, <laughs> he'll bring out the regulation book and tell you exactly where the definitions are. But as a lane man sitting on the side sort of looking at this stuff, uh, yellow flag is basically hazard on the track. So slow down, use a bit of caution. Double wave yellow in a spot. I think there's a further degree of slowdown that has to happen. I'm not exactly what sets that up. Yeah, but... cars have to slow dramatically for that. And there's a test. There's a whole dramatic thing. Uh, a safety car is, is basically they slow down to a certain speed, usually following a safety car, but there's also a virtual safety car element. And then a red flag is obviously when the race is stopped because it's just too dangerous to drive, to drive uh, for whatever reasons, right? Um, and I, you know, I think... Certainly, uh, you know, the, the safety car should have been deployed in both cases a lot earlier. Um, they did the right thing with the safety car, taking the, the drivers for, for Max's scenario specifically, taking the drivers through the pit lane for a lap or two before they decided to red flag. But I don't know. I mean, I look at how long it took them to put that out. The hazard to the driver that's stuck in the middle of the road, the hazard to the drivers that are driving at 300 plus kilometers an hour uh, and can hit a piece of debris. This is carbon fiber. It, it shatters like, you know, nobody's business. It, it just scatters everywhere. So I think they were just slow this time. They were really slow and dangerously okay. slow. And just for reference, I'm going to say it's uh, 39.3 of the sporting regulations. The safety car may be brought into operation to neutralize a race upon the order of the clerk of the course. So your clerk of the course is not your race director. So it's not Michael Massey. So maybe yeah. there is a communication error. But Phil, I agree with you. Like it was shockingly poor. Yeah, there was a lot of lot of poor things around those safety cars too. Although it did make yeah. one of my other favorite radio moments was, you know, stay out, stay out, stay out, stay out. Wait, no, you're supposed to come through the pits. Well, if you told me to stay out, then I'm gonna stay out. Like, like this was uh, with Giovinazzi, who like. No, it was Lafitte, and it was Williams. Oh, it was Lafitte, and it was probably the worst moment I could. I, I the, the, that team, I just you got to feel the pain. Uh, you know what are they doing? What is happening here right now? You know, it's funny. I thought Paul DeResta did a great job uh, calling the race with Martin Brundle off this week. But, you know, I kind of miss Martin's kind of just wit when it comes to a race. It just makes such a difference when you're watching a race and you're hearing some of that stuff. I know you commented on this, Spence. I, I did. I, I thought DeResta did a great job. I enjoyed him. He's not quite so crazy as, uh, as MB can be from time to time with some of the off-the-cuff comments that he makes. But you can tell, you know, he's a guy who's still really anchored in the sport. He's got a super license, and he's still, I think, a lot closer to this stuff than Martin might be. So, you know, from a technical perspective, I thought he was great. I really enjoyed him. Yeah, he was, you know, it was fun to listen to. I mean, Crofty always brings a lot to that in that feed as well. I mean, it, uh, it was definitely fun to listen to, although I did miss some of the, the great broadcasting moments. I will say that the text chat that we engage in every race weekend always brings some moment of hilarity. And this week was no exception. For me, the text of the race went to Phil, who pointed out that somehow, and nobody really knows how, Mazepin still ended up a full minute slower than his teammate, despite where he started during the race. And despite his teammate having his wheel not put on properly in a pit stop. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Having to get pushed back yeah. in the pits. <laughs> that was all before it got neutralized at in lap you know, 50 or whatever. But, you know, we, we get there. <laughs> This is, uh, yeah, you know, which makes for the perfect segue 
You know, like our mamas always taught us, if you can't say something nice, say it about Mazepin. Turn there. Oh, and another spin. Uh, but it's Nikita Mazepin. Let's play Mazespin, where each one of our panelists takes a negative from the race and spins it positively. So, yeah, guys, somebody take it on. What was some, something negative that you're like, ah, I can spin this thing? I'll do it. George Russell. George Russell finished effectively DFL after the restart. He didn't even make kind of the restart grid because his gearbox took a poop. <laughs> but I'm going to bet he's smiling because Bodass had a terrible weekend. Finished 12th only by virtue of Lewis Hamilton missing that corner. Otherwise, it would have been 13th. Couldn't really pass anybody all race. Horrible, 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 horrible. And Russell's gunning for that second Mercedes seat. So he might DNF, but I think he's happy. <laughs> uh, that's, that's fair enough. Everybody knows I'm a Lewis fanboy. It's just what it is. Deal with it. But watching Lewis at the restart of the race. So, you know, three laps, that's all they get to run. This is going to be a sprint. Incredible buildup and something that never happens in a Formula One race. I've never seen that before. Three laps to go and they're going to line up on the grid and restart this thing. and With fresh tires, or as fresh as they can have. Yeah. Super excited, because this is going to be this is going to be something. You're going to see a battle, but you, you get to the grid, and Lewis's brakes are just steaming. Like, these things are smoking away. And, They're on fire. And, uh, and they were, yeah, clearly on fire. And so, of course, Lewis, you know, locks up, goes into the runoff area, and changes again the entire scope of the race. And Lord knows how many times the, the scope of this race changed just because of the events that it had. But I actually thought that it was great that this thing happened because, you know, for fans of us, and, and I mean, I've never heard of this before, we got to learn what break magic was. I thought that was, that was amazing. So I'm pretty sure Mercedes didn't want anybody to learn what break magic was, if you want to be <laughs> honest about this. Uh, because if you hear Anthony Davidson talk about it, he's like, no, no, there's something there, but I can't tell you what it is. Yes. Right? So <laughs> this is something that has come out. I mean, taking a negative to a positive... You know, we've learned that Mercedes now has something that they push a button uh, and when they're on a warm-up lap or, uh, you know, a build-up lap, uh, they can heat the front tires by pushing all the brake bias pretty much to the front, uh, which then heats up the front brakes, which creates more heat in the carcass and allows the tire to stick better when they take off. Could explain why they have some of the most amazing starts. Yeah, and actually, another interesting thing about that, I listened to Mercedes-Benz race debrief that one of their engineers did and he was very careful to say it changes the brake bias to the front and some other things. So I am curious to know what those other things are. And Anthony Davidson, who you mentioned, he was one of the commentators for the race. He subbed in when Duresta had to run away to the podium. And he's a Mercedes-Benz simulator driver. And it was hilarious to hear him kind of tiptoe around what he can and can't say about brake magic, only to hear Ted Kravitz, the pit lane reporter, pipe up and say, well... I know exactly what it means because I know all the rumors, so here's what it means. <laughs> it's fantastic to have those guys in the, in the sports because they really dig into yeah. it, I have to tell you. It adds to it for fans like us. Yeah. Like, yeah. You wouldn't have that level of access. But I think what this really made, I mean, you know, yeah, it's a negative that the crash happened. It's a negative that they red flagged it. But you know what? We got two laps of truly nice, tight, unbelievable racing. There was... So much respect within the drivers. I think there was only one or two incidences where actually the drivers connected with each other. Giovinazzi and somebody. Yeah. Somebody drove at the back of Giovinazzi. And, but, you know, other than that, 
They kept it clean. There was some amazing passes on a street circuit that is tight. Yeah. The pass that Leclerc had made on Pierre was inspirational. But then, you know, Pierre just sort of held out there and just kept on in, into the corner, kept the drive, and, and was able to keep going. Uh, and then, you know, to get to that final lap and Leclerc passes him again and, no, no, I think I'm going to come back and take my place back, thanks. You know, it was just, you wouldn't see that. And you wouldn't have seen this if the race had been just flat out with no yellow flags, no safety cars, no red flags. It is one of the things that, as much as I hate doing things for show, but it's one of the things that really helped to sort of put the drama back in the Formula One, because otherwise it becomes processional sometimes. And it was. Up until Max went to the wall, it was, I was kind of watching the later replay and I was like falling asleep in bed. <laughs> and that's part of the challenge when you have a tight circuit on a city like that, because they don't want to take the risks if they don't have to. But pushing it into the last two laps, that was truly awesome. Yeah, and that was amazing. Spence, I wanted to ask you, because I know we talked about brake magic, and Gareth and the professor explained about getting heat in the brakes. Why is that important to a car, right? I mean, obviously getting heat to the tires increases the traction on the track, but why is it important to have heat in the brakes? What does that do for the racer? Well, let's redirect that to the, uh, to the technical expert. Yeah. <laughs> technical expert, Andrew Spencer. I ain't got nothing. I ain't got nothing for you. <laughs> Do you know how many engineering degrees this man has? Yeah, I, I've absolutely not. I'm an expert in many things, Randy, but the, the, the mechanics of uh, the Mercedes braking system, I'm absolutely not, not an expert in that. All right, Gareth, bail him out, man. <laughs> Just like the tires, the brakes got to be warm to work. They got to be in the right temperature window. They're carbon fiber. And you've, you've got to have them in the right temperature window in order to actually work, which is why you want to heat the living snot out of them. And that's what Lewis did. And then apparently he accidentally hit a button on the way into the turn, <laughs> according to Mercedes-Benz, who were like, it's not his fault. He hit a button. We're going to have to move it. <laughs> so, Phil, let's get back to it. Phil, what was uh, something that you wanted to spin from the negative to the positive in this race? Other than the fact that we just had a great final two laps at a disastrous race. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually going to say that is it. That is what is the negative is that, you know, we had such a couple of drivers had such bad luck, but we ended up with some amazing racing afterwards. You know, if you, if you look at at other races, we wouldn't have seen that. So I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people are in, this is on your board. I know a lot of people are annoyed that, you know, we didn't see a swing in the championship, but I actually think that's a great thing that has come out of this race is that the championship is still intact. And it's almost like we saw this big anomaly in the middle of the season. And I almost want to see more of it. And I think, you know, I throwing that up there because at the time that was what, where my mind was actually, as I was watching the race, I threw that up there uh, at the end and I thought, okay, you know, that's something I'll, I'll put up there. But I think the reality is I would much rather have seen Verstappen take a lead and put Lewis on a back foot to make the championship far more real and a bit more of a fight between the two drivers. Because we're about to head to Paul Ricard. We're about to head to Austria. We're about to head to Silverstone. Traditional circuits that, let's face it, Mercedes, they're probably going to do very well at. This was a chance for Verstappen to be ahead and to take the lead. So that's why I didn't want to say that one, because I I can't spin that to a positive. Because for me, it's not a positive anymore. It's actually a negative, even though I wrote it down. That's fair. I love it. I, I think it's great. I, I think that, you know, we've got this battle that is still going and it's still a little bit of drama. And I know we're going to traditional tracks, which means that, you know, there's sort of the Merck advantage and and Red Bull is going to be fighting, you know, again, in different ways. And then there's going to be a whole other conversation about 
plexi wings or other things like that that I don't really understand and we won't get into this particular episode, but I thought that was not so bad. Spence, what about you? What was your spin? Well, you know what? Um, I'm going to take Danny Rick finishing four positions behind his teammate, and I'm going to spin that. I think seeing him back at the points again was great. It was always going to be a tough track for him in a new car with almost no margin for error. You know, he's still coming to grips with the package, and I think it's going to be a little while before he can make the most out of it. So, you know what? Seeing him in the points, helping McLaren try to keep touch with Ferrari uh, in the constructors, you know what? I think he he did what he had to do. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Anybody else want to bring one up that is just burning in you? I got to spin this positive. I do. So Nikita Mazepin cutting his wheel on like the 51st lap as they're about to go over the line right at Mick Schumacher, who ended up beating him. Like complete dick move. We saw him do that in F2. He got dinged for that in F2. Nothing happened here. Uh, I'm going to spin that. There's two great spins for that. The first one is we can't be mad at the stewards when they offload the discipline to the team. You see this in F1 from time to time when teammates come together or do something stupid together that maybe if they're from two different teams, the stewards would have said, oh, we're noting this or we're taking a look at it. No, they, they didn't bother. Boys will be boys and the team will handle it internally. We'll see if they do. And the other, the other great spin from this, you know, Haas is their new team. They don't have like deep traditions or anything like that, but we can think of Mazepin as trying to carry on this great tradition of Haas drivers hit each other in the memory of like K Meg and Roman Grosjean. <laughs> so he's, he's just a traditionalist. He's not a dick. A okay, that's probably the spin right there. Okay, that is pure spin. Wow, that, that is like full on PR spin right there. Yeah. You know, speaking of which, you know, as much as I enjoy white men complaining about your things being Eurocentric, I will say that uh, my favorite thing that was a negative that is is a total positive for me as we watch these races is Spence is a whole lot funnier before coffee. It is absolutely <laughs> guys. I got to tell you, <laughs> did, did, did you stay up all night, Spence? I, I didn't. I got up at uh, at four thirty in the morning to start to watch the pre race stuff. Um, and by about five o'clock, I'd really hit my, my stride, you know, that, uh, that combination of, uh, a little bit of coffee, a little bit of Bailey's too much sleep deprivation. Maybe that's like the sweet spot for me. I don't know. Maybe I need to do the same thing before these podcasts. I really think so, man. It's, uh... <laughs> we're, we're now going to start recording this podcast at 7 a.m. Eastern. Yeah. <laughs> It's time for Winter Wow, our impressions of the weekend. Three takeaways from this week's race. One driver, one team observation, one overall race or venue impression, and one future of the sport thought, and maybe something about what to look for in the next race. Phil, why don't you get us started this time around? Certainly glad, because I want to point out that's actually four points, not three that you're asking for, but we'll go with that. Um, Whatever, right? He's not, not a math, math magician. Just shut up and go. <laughs> All right. Um, I, you know, a couple of things. That circuit is funny because I think it is truly a spectacular circuit. And I'd love to go there one day because I think it would be amazing to watch an F1 race live there. I think it's a fantastic circuit. I'm glad it's on the, on the calendar. I did not say that five years ago when it got put on the calendar. 
Nobody did. Nobody did. And then it turned out to be fantastic. It's turning out to be absolutely fantastic, and I'm loving it. So uh, that that's probably on the on the circuit side of things. Team-wise, I think we have to ask ourselves, and, and, and we've talked about this, is what is going on with Mercedes? Things are not going their way. Bottas is, is nowhere to be found on this race, really. And, uh, you know, there's just mistakes being made. And, and I think we've got to look at where that's coming from, what that is. I'm looking forward to for the next race. Uh, unfortunately, it's Paul Ricard, not one of my favorite circuits. I always find it fairly boring and not really a thrilling race. But on the positive side, it's Gasly's at home race. So I'm hoping for him to have a, a two-peat uh, and, and do well and, and make it to the podium again. I think that would be fantastic. Uh, and maybe we see Leclerc on the podium. That would be my wish to see Ferrari do well. And then my final point, I think Formula One, they've got to, they're doing a great thing, but I think they've got to be careful. Show versus racing. Um, you know, the delay on getting the safety car out there, whether it was real or not. Running, uh, they have never ran, uh, realistically, uh, so close to the end of a race, uh, the final two laps again, uh, after a red flag. Uh, normally, they've stopped the race. So something's changed. I think it's awesome that it's changed, but it's making sure that they do it in a safe way that doesn't uh, negatively impact uh, the drivers or the teams. I think that's a critical thing coming out of that. But other than that, absolutely love this race. Can't wait for uh, Formula One season to keep going and, and for us to be at the next one a week and a half. Sounds good. Spence, what about you? Your winter win thoughts? Well, you know what? From a team perspective, Randy, uh, really happy to see Aston Martin showing some pace. The last couple of races have really been uh, a turnaround for them. In this race in particular, I mean, Vettel, we know he finished P2, great result for him. But even Stroll, like before he went into the wall you know, on lap 31, I mean, he was he was looking to have something in the points as well. So, you know, I, I think they're really starting to kind of come to grips with the, the new era rules. And, you know, the strategy calls lately have been they've been perfect. Uh, Bernadette Cooper has made just the absolute bang on calls the last two races. In terms of the future of the sport, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the tire blowouts. And, and I want to ask the question, like, do we actually believe Pirelli when they say that all of these tire failures are due to debris or due to, you know, to cuts in the tire? I, do we need more tire manufacturers in the sport? I wholeheartedly think we do. Are there more tire manufacturers who want to be in the sport? There's your problem. Well, it's a cost thing, but maybe not. But like, we've got these tires that are being run in spec. I mean, it's not like these guys were on lap 45 when they blew, right? Like, no, no, they, they, they were in spec, yeah. like well in spec. Yeah. You know, Pirelli says they can do some range of laps. They were, yeah. So, like, if that's happening, we need to ask ourselves, like, do we need someone else in there to keep Pirelli honest? I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's worth at this moment explaining to those who are new to the sport. I mean, when we talk about tires being in spec, the color on the outside of the tire speaks to basically how the compound is built. The red being a soft tire, so a much softer compound. Yellow, you know, kind of a, a harder medium compound. And uh, you know, at Az Azerbaijan, at this point in the race, most of the teams were running the white wall tire, which is technically the hardest compound, the one that's supposed to last the longest. I mean, these things were supposed to go for what, Gareth? 45 laps? 55 laps? It was something long for this race. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it did, I mean, remember on the first lap, um, the Williams went. They pitted onto hards, yeah. And changed onto the hards right away, right? And the thought was, well, that's it. They're going to go to the end of the race, right? And I don't think they would be doing that, you know, kind of out of the blue. But anyway, I, I just think that's something that, you know, the sport needs to consider. It certainly 
something, it's a situation we've had in the past, and I think it's it's worked fine. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we need to go back to that. The one redeeming thing that maybe Pirelli's not lying to us is that they were the left tires, which apparently, like, markedly less stressed than the right rears uh, based on how many turns you've got going in, in whatever direction on the circuit and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Absolutely. Give that to you. I'll give that to Pirelli, you know. But the reality is, if it's three left tires, I mean, two left tires blue, and they're saying they found damage on a third left tire, hitting the same piece of debris twice. I don't know if you ever watched a piece of debris being hit in a Formula One car. It doesn't stay standing. Well, no. It, you're not going to hit the same piece of debris twice. Like, that's rare. But you're going to, there is a lot of stuff there. It's also a street circuit. Like, the circuit's had issues in the past with uh, you know, drain coverage and stuff like that coming up. I would say I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but do I believe them? Eh, not yet. I'm going to say I don't believe them. You know, three tires, same side, same problem. No, I think there's a problem. I think there's a problem with something, whether it's a manufacturing problem more than anything. You know, I know that they've had some issues and some they've been testing different manufacturing facilities for Pirelli uh, in different locations. Uh, and maybe that has has led to some of these changes. Um, but I, I think the sport and the, and the governing body really needs to ask and take a look and say, what is really going on here? Because you wouldn't see that same damage. They're either hitting the exact same thing to cause the damage, but that's only them. You know, there's, there's 17 other drivers around the track, right? So what was the defining difference, right? Maybe it's how the cars work on, the, on, uh, on that tire. Right? Or how the cars work that time. Yeah. I'm wondering if, you know, the decision to go a step softer in the compounds this year maybe was part of it. And I believe in years past, they were using harder compounds in Baku. And, you know, I wonder if that's where the screw up was. Maybe it's not a construction problem. It was just a decision error, right? Like they should not have had compounds this soft on a track with, you know, this high speeds and this kind of, you know, loads in the tires. Say compounds, Andrew. What, what do you mean? What's the difference between like, the compounds and kind of the stripes. Yeah, so I mean, every race you're going to have a soft, medium, and hard. Make the the red stripe soft, the yellow stripe medium, the white stripe hard. But the actual tire changes race to race. So Pirelli has a range of C1 to C5 tires, and they will always pick three tires in succession from that range to take to any given race. So it may turn out that the hard tires you're running in one race are the soft tires in the next. I, I miss yeah. the days when they just called them. Here's the ultra super extra soft, <laughs> the hyper soft, super soft. Yeah. The, the I, I can't believe the people couldn't get that straight. I know the, yeah. the <laughs> only reason though that we have varying degrees of tires is because we have one tire manufacturer, and in order to keep the sport interesting, FIA decided that they needed to have multiple tires compounds to do that, and so they've come up with the system. If you go back to late 90s we're looking at two different manufacturers two different tires yeah simple straightforward and it's funny i mean you asked the question spence and i think i had this on my winter win was that i think reintroducing multiple tire manufacturers could actually make things interesting because of the spending cap next year right you know it becomes all of a sudden that set of equations you make that well i'm gonna spend more on my chassis or my engine or, or whatever so yeah, maybe I'm not buying the expensive Pirelli tires instead of Continental has come Black into the Lion, and my favorite Chinese decided, tire brand. You know, that's right. It's Romagna brought to you by Hankook Tires. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, 
You know, but I do think that having multiple manufacturers could make the cap more interesting for the sport, right? I mean, not just for those who are fantasy players, but also just in general, right? Because now there's more to think about. There's all of these different alchemies. And that, that is what happens when in any other pro sport, right? When you put a salary cap on it, then all kinds of things start playing out, right? You've got to think about the length of contracts and the way that you hire players and, and all of these different things that then just literally change the entire alchemy and economy of the sport. I think it'd be hilarious to see, you know, multiple tire manufacturers playing out and what that means for different races and then could itself change the way that cars play out on a street circuit versus a, uh, a traditional circuit. You know, you might be right about that, Randy. All I know is this, as soon as the race was over and I had enough coffee to function, I went right out to my driveway and checked my Pirelli P0s on my car just to make sure the rear left was still intact. <laughs> uh, I, I was, it were had any, me really worried. Were there any cuts on that, Spence? I didn't see any cuts, no. It's still, it's still on the car. Too. And you heard it here first, folks. No debris on the West Coast. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Gareth? What were your sort of winner whinge thoughts? As somebody who loves to whinge and or wine, I'm going to whinge first. Ooh. And my first whinge is comment on this race what if we had actual sprint races and i don't mean these bullshit sprint race qualifying races yeah. qualifying sprint races this is my guess are gonna be boring because nobody wants to do anything because that car's got to both do like this 20 or 24 lap race or whatever it's going to be and then the the race distance tomorrow what if we actually had a sprint race here's 20 laps your car does not have to run tomorrow or you're allowed to fix your car tomorrow or you're allowed to whatever. Here's your soft tires. Hit it. So you're saying no park for me after the sprint race. No, nope. so what he's actually saying is no salary capsule budget caps at that point, because you know, <laughs> there is, you know, just to make that a reality, you've got to run extra cars. You've yeah. got which means yeah, you need extra a engines. Car. You need a sprint car. You need, yeah. You, you know, Welcome to Formula One on steroids. We're going to jack the price yeah. up now. You know, your $100 million salary budget cap is now going to be $250 million. Well, they're giving, they're giving folks an extra bit of money to do sprint qualifying. Give people an extra allotment to do an actual sprint race. I, I don't disagree that sprint racing, like if they, if they do it properly, it could be really interesting and enticing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I do agree with you. I think the sprint qualifying races are, are probably going to be processionally boring. Well, I think I, I mentioned on our last podcast, I'd watched one of the Formula 2. Formula 2 does two sprint races, then a feature. And the first one is usually everybody's like, oh, please take your space. No, you take your space. No, you take your space. <laughs> like it's it, it, it's very, every, everybody backs up. So that's my whinge. It would be lovely if we had actual sprint races. I don't think we're going to. See, maybe they could do it like they used to do Le Mans back in the day, right? You know, so everybody actually has to sprint for a quarter mile to get to their car, mile. then get in the car, car, and then start driving. <laughs> that would be entertaining. I would watch that. Well, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be because who takes away the step stools they all use to get in their car? Like, does somebody <laughs> yeah, run who's going to tie them stool? into the car? Have you seen how they're literally pulling the people into the car? So, yeah, no, yeah. that's just not going to I just think it'd be hilarious. Right? You'd imagine like the SWAT theme going as Danny Rick does the slide across the halo into his car. Like... I mean, that would be hilarious only for the ability of people to sack themselves on the halo getting in. <laughs> All right, go on with your wins, The 12-year-old in me loves that. My wow, the straight. That, that straight 
in Azerbaijan, which is not straight. Let me just pull up my track map that's in front of me. It goes from corner 16 to corner one. And there's one, two, three, four other corners in the way that are not really corners. If you watch the onboards and you watch the cars move through, there's kind of like a series of S's, a straight, a little kink, and then a straight. Holy hell. Like that's just like side by side bonkers. Boom, boom. You can you can see how planted Formula One cars are because of the aero influence on them. And it just it's a it's a wow. Watch it. Watch some onboards. Mind blowing. Actually, a great reference on that when you talk about onboards and, and, and aero influences. There is a great video, and I have to find it on YouTube and send it to you guys, uh, that shows the deflection on the front wing on that straightaway. And you normally you hear about deflections, but you don't really like when you watch it normally in onboarding, you don't see it. You don't know. It's visually it. hard to see, yeah. But this one is visually like they they even on the video, obviously they draw a line so you can say, okay, it's here it is going around the corner, right? At at zero load. Here it is at full flat out on that straightaway. And there on the Mercedes, the front wing flex a good what looks like, I mean, from my perception, an inch, but it's probably like a centimeter. Uh, but you know, isn't that too like, true in your life? There's a serious though? definition in it. Sorry? Isn't that too true in your life? An inch looks like a centimeter. Oh you <laughs> All right, I'm done here today. <laughs> you know, I, and the, the great thing is, is I had a bunch of winter wind thoughts, but you guys all kind of brought them up and I was able to react to you. So I don't really have it. So I will ask everybody, you know, we're coming up uh, next race to Paul Ricard in France, and it's easily one of the most reviled races in the year, right? Like Paul Ricard has to be there because, you know, France loves F1, but... You know, that track is just not fun. What about it makes it such the monster that it is? It's the blue runoff areas, Randy. I can't, <laughs> I can't watch it. I, I, they, they, the, the painting on the asphalt is brutal. I they, they painted these stripes in the runoff areas. They make me nauseous. And speaking of those, we're going to hear people whining about track limits again. No, nobody's talked about track limits for two yeah. races. Because the track limit is the friggin' wall. Yeah, it's the wall. and we're going to hear this again. <laughs> track limits, track limits, tell Michael. And given that we're a bunch of crusty old buggers, track limits, you, you put your wheel over there, I want you to be in a gravel trap sideways across some grass. There's no penalty for going off. We're going to hear track limits again. That's one of the reasons nobody likes Paul Ricard. It's probably the biggest reason why I don't like it, because you know they do exploit those track limits to the nth degree on that circuit, and it's very easy to. Um, I think the only thing that would salvage that race for me is if they actually deployed Bernie Eccleston's idea of a, you know, we're going to turn the taps on halfway through. Sprinklers, I yeah. I think that circuit's actually set up as a wet pad. Uh, as you a know, skip So pad. they could do it in part of it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and put, so put the cool. sprinklers on for us, please. Let's make it interesting and exciting uh, if you're going to send us to a boring place like that. That said, if they want to race in France, there's other circuits. Let's go back to Magnicor. I mean, that was a fantastic circuit. Let's go. Oh, my gosh. Magnicor was brilliant. Yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some classic, classic races there. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it definitely doesn't have the, you know, the bumps and walls that Azerbaijan does. It doesn't have the, uh, the classic architecture and, and fashion that Monaco brought us. But it is France. And so, you know, get ready, guys, to talk about things French during next week's race. Uh, or at least the next time we talk about this next race. But for now, get in there, fellas. The checkered flag drops on another race week. And so we've had a great time breaking it down. Hope you will all join us 
in two weeks when we find ourselves talking about Belle France and the reviled circuit at Paul Ricard. If you like what you've heard, please throw some stars. Even better, please follow us at, at FlippinF1. Tweet out the link to this broadcast or invite a friend to listen to you next week. We'll talk to you then. Bye. See you goodbyes. See you guys. Bye, Mom. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>